Well, today we are in the second week of a series called the 11th Hour. And this is a series on the end times. And what we're doing throughout this series is we're, we're really trying to get a detailed look at how things are going to unfold in this world as we draw nearer to the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, for those of you who miss week one, uh, you can go online and watch that, myrefuge.church, or you can go to our Facebook page. And, and by the way, if you don't like us on Facebook and you have Facebook, shame on you. You Like, like our page, okay? And, and you can share things with people, but, but you can go online and, 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 and watch that. But last week, we, we began reading from Matthew chapter 24, and we read the first 14 verses. Now, this is very interesting. The first 14 verses of Matthew chapter 24, um, they deal with the time from when Jesus was on this earth until our present day. Okay, so they, they deal with the time from when Jesus was on this earth until the present day. And it's within these first 14 verses that Jesus gives us signs to look for as to what will be happening in this world as, as his return draws near. Uh, you were here last week, most of you were here, and, and we talked about some of the signs. Jesus said there would be wars. As, when he gets ready to return, he says there's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. A nation's going to rise against nation. Kingdom's going to rise against kingdom. There will be famine. There will be earthquakes. In other words, he's talking about disasters that will happen, distress that will happen, persecution. Uh, to the Christians. Uh, deception will take place. Jesus said, make sure that you're not deceived because many is going to come in my name saying that they're, that they're the Messiah. They're going to come and they're going to give you uh, false teachings. Make sure that you're not deceived. So Jesus gives us several signs to watch for. And he uses the analogy of birth pains. He says, uh, these are just the beginning of birth pains. And, and the point I believe that he's making is that just like contractions to a, a woman who's about to get birth, give birth, they get closer together and more intense as the birth draws near. So they're happening more frequent and they're more intense. And so Jesus is saying these signs that I've just given you, they're just the beginning of birth pain. So what I believe Jesus is saying there is that these signs that, that we're seeing, wars and rumors of wars, deception, all these things, they will not only become more intense, but they will happen more frequently as the coming of the Lord draws closer. So that was verses 1 through 14. And then we come to verse 15. And when you get to verse 15, you, you move smack dab into the middle of the period of time that, that theologians call the tribulation. You're right in, in the middle of the tribulation. And this is a, a seven-year period of time that immediately precedes the second coming of Jesus to this earth to establish his kingdom and begin the, the millennial reign. Uh, this seven-year period is, is talked about in Matthew 24. It's talked about in Mark 13. It's talked about in Luke uh, 21. It's talked about in the book of Daniel. It's talked about in the book of Revelation. This is something that we're going to talk about in this series in the coming weeks. But it's a time that's filled with catastrophic ruin and tragedy that this world has never seen before. And so when you come to verse 15, it's in the middle. Everybody say the middle. It's in the middle of this seven-year tribulation period. It's what, it's what uh, uh, theologians call the abomination 
of desolation, when the Antichrist sets up a sacrilegious object, an idol, inside the temple and commands people to worship it. Okay, so this is, we're, we're picking up, and I know I'm, I've got to skip a lot of stuff because we're going to talk about the tribulation, the Antichrist in the coming weeks, but I'm just trying to tell you where we are in Scripture uh, as far as when we get to verse 15. So, so what I want to talk about this morning is, is really the white space that's in your Bible. The space that's in between verse 14 and verse 15. Okay? Because in this space between verses 14 and 15, uh, there is a significant event that I, believe, that I believe happens right there. Matter of fact, I have it marked in my Bible, a little arrow drawn to it. I, have, I believe that it happens right there. It's an event that I believe is the very next thing to happen on God's prophetic calendar, and that is the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church. The moment when, listen, the moment when every born-again believer is instantaneously removed from this earth. The moment that the Bible says is going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. That's fat. For those of you that think about the blink of an eye, I know some translations say blink, but that's really not an accurate translation. A twinkle is faster than a blink. A twinkle is really the speed of light. It's the reflection that light bounces off of your eyes. So it's the speed of light. That moment where we are instantly transformed and in the presence of the Lord. This, this, just look at your neighbor and say, this is going to be good. Okay, and for those of you that are doubting, just, just give me time to explain. And if you want to ask questions after service, Pastor Brad will answer all your questions for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, if you want to go ahead and turn to your Bible, I'm going to begin in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. So go ahead and be turning there. But before, before I read this to you, I want to give you a little bit of context. Because as I've taught you before, context is important. Right? So let me give you some context. When you read Acts chapter 17, you're going to find that the Apostle Paul visited uh, the believers at, at Thessalonica. That's, what, that's who this letter of Thessalonians is written to, the church of Thessalonica. And so in Acts chapter 17, you read that the Apostle Paul was teaching the believers, and he taught them for, for two weeks. The Bible says that he preached for three straight uh, Sabbath day services. So he got to speak three messages to the church at Thessalonica. And if he's only there for two weeks and he only gets to speak three times, there's probably some very important um, teaching that he wants to communicate to them. Now, we could all sit around and talk about what we think that he taught, but but my belief, and according to what we're about to read in 1 Thessalonians, I believe that one of the things that he taught the church at Thessalonica was the rapture of the church. I believe that he was teaching them that the Lord is coming back, and he's coming back soon. And he taught them with a passion because all of them were excited that Jesus is coming back. Matter of fact, many of them would go around saying the, the, the name, I'm sure you've heard this before, Maranatha which is an Arabic uh, uh, word that means the Lord is coming. So they had this excitement about them that the Lord is coming. And they lived with an expectancy and an anticipation that the Lord could come back at any moment. And they were excited. And then there was some time that went by, and after a certain period of time went by, some of the believers started dying. Dying. 
as we're all going to die. It's not like they were dying because they were Christians. They just they got older and they started dying. And this caused some great confusion to the church at Thessalonica. They, they started questioning, wait a second. I, I'm, I'm a little confused now because we've been believing that the Lord is coming back. And now if the Lord comes back, well, mom and, and grandma, they've already died. What's going to happen to them? They're going to miss the Lord coming back. So there were some questions and some concerns. So when we get to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the believers to answer this question. Are, y'all, are you tracking with me? Okay, if not, just get your neighbor to help you out there. I'm sure they'll help you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 and 18, the Apostle Paul writes this letter uh, to address this concern of, of uh, my, my believing family has passed away, they're going to miss the coming of the Lord. Watch this. He says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know, look at this, what will happen to the believers who have died? So he's, he's going to answer this, this question for them. I want you to know what's going to happen to the believers who have died. Watch this. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For an unbelieving person who who dies, an unbeliever, someone who dies without Christ, there there is no hope. And I know that this this is hurtful this morning, but but when an unbeliever dies, you will never see them again. It's tragic, but it's the truth. When an unbelieving person dies, you will never see them again. That's why the Apostle Paul is saying, I, I want to address this question that you have about what's going to happen to the believers who've died because I don't want you to grieve like someone who doesn't have any hope. In other words, you have hope. When a Christian dies, you have not lost them you know exactly where they are. And then for those of you that have recently lost loved ones who who are believers, this should be a comforting message to you today. You know that they are not lost. You know where they are. And you know that you're going to see them again. You are guaranteed to see them again. They are not dead. They are alive. I taught you this a few weeks ago when we did the series on the afterlife. When you die, your body and soul separate. Your body gets buried in the ground, but your soul goes to one of two places, either heaven or hell. And for a believer, their soul separates from their body and goes into the presence of the Lord. That's what the Apostle Paul teaches us. He says, to be absent from this body is to be present from the Lord. So if you have lost a a believing family member or a believing friend, someone who was a Christian, they've passed away, I can tell you this morning, they are not dead. They are in the presence of the Lord. And so Paul is addressing this. He said, let me tell you, you have hope that you are going to see them again. And that's the hope that all of us have as believers. So let's read the the remaining verses, and then I want to come back and give you three thoughts this morning. So first, let's read verses 14 through 18. 18. He says this, he says, For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Now, this is their bodies that are rising, okay? Because he just said he will bring with them those who have died. So he's bringing their spirits. Their spirit and body will reunite. A new body. 
Amen. <laughs> All right, so uh, first the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be, look at this, look at this phrase, caught up. If you have your Bible, underline that, highlight it, uh, bold it, uh, whatever you got to do. Uh, make note of that because many people will say, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. You, you're correct. It's not. But this phrase right here comes from the Greek word harpezo which means to be plucked up, to be seized. It's not just like, I mean, it means to be almost like a rescue mission, like someone is face down in the water, and you're, ooh, you're just like, you're, you're seizing them, you're, you're, you're snatching them up. That's what this word means. He says, so those of us who are alive and remain, when Jesus comes back, we're going to be snatched away. We're going to be raptured into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So freak each other out with these words. Is that what it says? It says, so encourage one another with these words. This should, this should be, I told you last week, we should not, for those of us who are Christians, we should not be afraid when we talk about end times. Because we know that, uh, that Jesus is coming back soon. We should not fear death because we know to be absent from this body is to be the presence of the Lord. It's, we're going to win, guys. And so we should encourage one another with these words. Maranatha, the Lord is coming. He's coming soon. And I believe what Paul is saying here by saying encourage one another with these words, he's saying let's talk about the coming of the Lord. And I'm going to be honest with you. I, I really repent as your pastor because I haven't talked about this much And he's saying, encourage one another with these words, because if we live with an expectancy that Jesus could come back at any time, I think it would change a lot of the things that we do. I think it would cause us to live a more holy life. If we were really expecting Jesus to come back, I think that we would be uh, less likely to give in to temptations that we're often given into. And I believe that the church at Thessalonica, they lived with the anticipation that Jesus could come back at any moment. And I believe that this is what Paul is addressing here when he says, encourage one another with these words. Go around and teach Jesus is coming. So I want to look at three thoughts this morning from this passage, and we're going to break down um, uh, different sections of this scripture that I just read to you, verses 14 through 18. And I want to look at three thoughts. And, and the first thought I want to look at is the basis of the rapture. The basis of the rapture. In other words, who's it for? Um, what, what qualifies us to be taken? Because let me be clear this morning, this is a selective rapture. Not everyone goes. This is for believers only. Okay, so the basis of the rapture. Who is it for? How do you qualify? Paul explains, verse 14, he says, For since we believe that Jesus did what? Jesus died and was raised again. Matter of fact, this is, if you read Romans, I believe it's 10.9, I should know this, I believe it's Romans 10.9, the, the Romans wrote the, how you get saved, if you believe in your heart that, uh, that, that, that He is God, and that, or that Jesus is the Lord, and that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. I mean, this, is, this is the basis of becoming a believer. He says, you got to believe that Jesus died and was raised again. 
So, so one, of the, one of the basis of the rapture is to experience it, you have to believe that Jesus died, but not just in the sense of, yeah, I believe that Jesus died, but rather in the sense of, of I understand why he died and that he died to save me. Not just, yeah, I believe that Jesus died, but an understanding of why he died and what his death did for you and me. All of us were born sinners, but his death made forgiveness possible. His death on the cross made it possible. When he died on the cross, he satisfied the requirement that God had put on, on, on sin. In other words, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So when Jesus died on the cross, he met the required payment of sin. How do we know that God approved of his sacrifice? How do we know that, he was, that God uh, fully accepted the price that Jesus paid? Because God raised him from the dead. So first of all, we have to believe what Jesus did on the cross, that he paid the penalty for our sin, and then we put our faith in him because he died on the cross. And now, since he's died on the cross, we put our faith in him, we no longer have to face death. Now, our body's going to die, but death is really just a door that we step through from, from this earthly life to our eternal life. So we don't have to, to fear. So we believe that He died for us and that he, that he paid the penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven. But He didn't just die. He was raised to life again. This is what we call the resurrection it's what separates Christianity from all other religions in this world. Not all, none of them, other than Christianity, can boast about a risen Savior. The fact that our Lord and Savior rose from the dead is what makes Him God. It's what proves that He is God. You may be here this morning and say, well, Pastor, why is it important? Why is... His death and resurrection important when it comes to the rapture of the church. And I would answer that to say that it's because it's the basis of the rapture. The fact that Jesus rose again is proof that we too will rise. If Jesus doesn't rise from the grave, then we have no hope of new life. But Jesus did rise from the grave, which means that we too will rise. He goes on to say in verse 14, he says, we also believe that when Jesus returns, watch this, this is encouraging, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Once again, this is, this is their spirits that are coming back, okay? Because I, I know some of you, I haven't heard my teaching on afterlife, you may be a little confused on this, but, but when you die, your body gets buried and your soul and spirit goes to live either in heaven or hell. Hell, heaven, Okay? So when it's talking about the believers come back with him, those who have died, their spirit is with the Lord, so he's bringing them back with him. Every believer who has died will come back with Christ in the rapture. And then he goes on in verse 15. This is important. He says, we tell you this, next slide please, we tell you this directly from the Lord. In other words, this was not Paul's made up idea. This was not his opinion. This was... Revelation knowledge from the, word, from, from the Lord. This was a word from the Lord. He says, I'm telling you this directly 
from the Lord. So the basis of the rapture is the work of Christ, the, the cross and or his death and the resurrection, and it's also the word of Christ. And then he says, We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. Now, now I want you to focus on that for a second. I know some of you have studied this for years, but, but pay attention. Paul says, we, you cannot have a we without an I. Okay, I know that's deep. But, but what Paul is saying when he says, we who are still living, Paul was believing that the Lord would return in his lifetime. So if Paul was believing that, and we, he didn't have all the signs and, and things that, that we see today that Jesus talked about, how much the more should we believe that the Lord is going to return in our lifetime? He's coming soon. His return is, is imminent. It's, it's near. It will happen at any moment. Another thought to consider is the blueprint of the rapture. In other words, what's going to happen? And how's it going to happen? Verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, I love this, says, the Lord Himself will come down from heaven. The Lord Himself. He's not sending chariots. He's not sending an angel. He's not sending a host of angels. The Lord Himself is coming to get us. Why is He coming? Because the church, the Christians, are His bride. The church is the bride of Christ and He is coming for His bride. Let me share another scripture. And this is all throughout the Bible. I don't have time to give you everything. But in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, Jesus told this to His disciples. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Watch this. And if I go, and we know that He went... If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus himself is coming for his bride. He's coming down from heaven. This same Jesus, that he says that, that you see ascend into heaven shall come again in like manner. The Lord Himself. And then it says, The Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout. Some translations say a, a cry of command. It's the Greek word. And some of you are like, Scott, why do you keep saying Greek word? Well, because the Bible was primarily written in, in Greek and Hebrew. Okay? So a lot of times when they translate to English, a lot of times we don't have words that match one for one what those words mean. So uh, when he says, uh, with a commanding shout, it's the Greek word, Kelyuma, not Kalua, Kelyuma. <laughs> I don't know why I said that, but it's a, it's it's a military term. It's a it's a loud summons. In other words, attention. It's a, it's a loud shout. It's a it's a command. I, now I have no idea what Jesus is going to say. I I have a I have a suspicion that it might be kind of like it was when he called Lazarus out of the tomb. 
Lazarus had been dead for four days and Jesus stands outside of that tomb in the cemetery and he specifically had to say the name Lazarus else everyone else would have come out of their graves as well. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth! And that body that was dead came up out of the grave. So I just have a suspicion. I may be wrong. I don't really care what it says. I just want to go. Okay? But I have a suspicion that Jesus is going to step out on the clouds and call His church and say, Come home! Come forth! It's going to be a loud cry, a cry of command, a commanding shout, the Bible says. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and then He goes on to say, With the voice of the archangel. Now I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, I don't know what this means. Um, when, you, when you look at commentary on this, um, some believe that it's simply a description that speaks to the authority of Christ's command. While others believe that it's possibly Michael the archangel echoing the same command that Jesus gives. I, I'm not sure. And honestly, I don't know that it really matters. I just know that when he shouts, it's going to be a thunderous roar. He goes on to say, Verse 16 again, For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. Now I know what that is. I know, I know what a, a trumpet call is. And a trumpet is used to call to gather. To, to call, it's a call of assembly. Everybody come together. That's, that's terrible. It sounds like blues clues, but... Um, I, I remember growing up, um, I used to go to church camp or when I was little, I went to church camp in um, Hot Springs. I, I don't forgot the name of the church camp. I think it's called Mountain Valley Retreat or something like that now. But anyway, that's irrelevant. Um, when I was about 13 or 14 years old and, and everyone there was divided up into five teams. We had like a red, blue, green, yellow, and I think an orange team. And everyone was on a team. Some of you may, some of you are about to live some, relive some glory days when I say this. But they had what they called a horn blow. Anybody ever heard of a horn blow? You know what that is? A few of you Pentecostals? Okay. Um, a horn blow was one of the workers would go out and find a car or go out and get in a car in the parking lot or they would take a car and park it somewhere on the, camp, the church campgrounds and they would just lay on this horn and when all the campers heard this horn blow, they had to run and find where that horn sound was coming from, and the first team that would get all of their team members there would be declared the winner. They would get points. Is that ringing a bell with any of y'all? No? Y'all yeah, y'all didn't grow up going to church camp. Y'all was heathens, I remember. I know now. But, but, but the point is, is that you never knew when the horn blow would happen. It would be, it could happen in the morning, and there was one every day. It could happen in the morning, sometimes twice a day. It could happen in the morning, it could happen while you're eating lunch, it could happen at night. I remember one horn blow one year was at 2 o'clock in the morning. You're sound asleep and all of a sudden, and you're like panicking and you're running trying to find where that sound is coming from, hoping that your team, teammates are there to be the first ones there. It was a call of assembly, come together. And I believe this is what's going to happen on the day that the Lord steps out on the clouds. He's going to give a commanding shout with the voice of an archangel. 
the archangel, with a, with a trumpet call of God. And when that, when that sound happens, the grave of every believer is going to burst open. And people are going to come out of their graves. It reminded me of that song. There ain't no grave that's going to hold this body down. Y'all know that song. There ain't no grave that's going to hold this body down. When I hear that trumpet sound, I'm going to get up out of this ground. There ain't no grave. Okay, that's enough of that. That's free. (laughs) But that's what's going to happen. Those who are dead. It's already happened once when Jesus died on the cross. The Bible says that, that he went down into, into captivity. And I, I taught you that, guys, this before. But before, before Jesus came, Old Testament saints died not, not seeing the Messiah come. So when Jesus died on the cross, he goes down into the, the holding place where these Old Testaments were, 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 were being held. And he says, I am the one. And they all come out of their graves with him. The Bible says that, that people were coming up everywhere. What a, what a sight that would have been. Wow, where am I in my notes? I love this. I love this. First, he says in verse 16, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. When, when that happens, the first thing that's going to happen is the dead in Christ shall rise first. Why, why do they come up first? I don't know. Some people say it's because they have six feet further to go than we do. I, I don't know if that's true. But the dead in Christ shall rise first. In the twinkling of an eye, the grave of every believer is going to burst open and a resurrected body is going to come out of it. <laughs> hmm. Verse 17. Then together with them, who is them? The believers who have died in Christ, who've come out of the grave. Together with them, we who are still alive and remain on this earth will be caught up. We will be raptured into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, as believers, we shouldn't fear death. Okay? So if our time comes and we're coming to the end of our life, we we shouldn't be fearful of that. But I'm going to be selfish here. I, I, I want to be alive when Jesus comes back. <laughs> can you imagine? I mean, I know it's going to happen so fast we probably won't even realize what, what happens, but can you imagine that what, what it's going to be like? This old, worn out, Pastor Jerry, you can relate, this, this old, <laughs> worn out body instantly transforms. Instantly. I mean, arthritis, all of these things are gone. In an instant, this mortal, the Bible says this mortal shall put on immortality. This corruption shall put on, this corruptible shall put on incorruptible. We shall be changed. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 52, I love this. Paul says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. How's it going to happen? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet is going to sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. In other words, immortal. And we, those of us who are still alive, are going to be changed. In a moment, we shall be changed. All of the hurt All of the grief, all of the sorrow, all of the pain, all of the scars, all of the neglect, all of the abuse will be gone in a moment. That's the hope that we have. 
Man, I just wish y'all felt half of what I feel this morning. Okay, that brings us to the last one, the blessing of the rapture. The blessing of the rapture. Verse 17, this is the blessing of the rapture. Verse 17, then we will be with the Lord forever. You know how long that is? It's forever. This, there's, it's no, there's no time. It's, Toy Story is real popular right now, so it's to infinity and beyond. It's forever. Verse 18, watch this. Here's, here's the blessed hope. So encourage each other with these words. Jesus is coming back. This world is not my home. I'm just, I'm just passing by. Hmm. <laughs> This is the blessing. The Lord is coming soon. So encourage one another with these words. Jesus is coming soon. And here's what I want to ask you this morning and ask myself. How much different would our lives look right now if we lived as though He could come back at any moment? See, we have stopped, we've stopped believing this. We've lost focus. We, we don't think about the Lord coming back. We, we all think, oh, I've got plenty of time. I'll do that later. I believe this message to the Thessalonians is, 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 is proof to the, to the imminent return of Jesus that He could come at any moment. There, I don't believe there's anything else that has to happen before Jesus comes back. His return is near. I think if we lived with this imminent return of Christ, it's safe to say that we would live more holy. That we would be less likely, as I said earlier, to do the things that we're tempted to do if we knew that Jesus could come back at any moment. And I'm just here to tell you, He can come at any moment. I want to give you three other scriptures and I'm going to close. Luke chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus Himself said this, You also must be ready because the Son of Man, He's speaking of Himself, will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, the Apostle Paul writes this, The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. A thief does not tell you when He's going to come and burglarize your house. He comes when you least expect it. Unexpectedly. And then Revelation 16, 15, Jesus said this, Look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. This morning, if you knew the Lord was coming back within the hour, what would you do? What would you do? Do it now. That's the message. If you knew the Lord could come back any moment, if He could come back within the next hour, whatever it is that you think that you would do, if you only knew that you had 59 more minutes, then do it now. If you knew that the Lord could come back at any moment, if you knew the Lord could come back in the next hour, what would you change? Change it now. That's the message. That's the Because He could cut. He could come before we have lunch. Oh, Lord, help us. He could, he could come while I'm preaching. Now, that would be the ultimate high right there. Up here preaching about Jesus coming back, and He comes. And, and people who aren't believing, they're going to believe then. 
Man, he was telling the truth. <laughs> and then, and then you're, you're on your own, and we'll talk about some of the tri- things that happen in the tribulation in the coming weeks. But, but my point is this morning, guys, we are living in the 11th hour. If the coming of the Lord, and I'm talking about the rapture of the church, and I personally believe, okay, and, and, and you have a right to, everyone believes the Lord's coming back. If you don't, there's something wrong. But there's a lot of arguments as to when that's going to happen. Some people think pre-trib, which is what I believe. I believe it happens before the tribulation period. Some people will say he comes uh, in the middle of the tribulation, which is mid-tribbers. And then some people say that it happens after the tribulation, which is post-tribbers. The, the point is, be ready at all times. Okay? However... I'm believing pre-trib. I'm believing that Jesus is coming back. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord when, all, when, the, when the seven years of tribulation is happening. We're going to be with the Lord, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the, bemis, the, uh, the judgment seat of Christ, uh, the awards, all these things, or, or rewards, and all the stuff that's going to be handed out. We're going to be in that place of refuge. We're living in the 11th hour. Are you ready? Are you ready? For when the Lord comes back, are you ready? Have you believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you made Him your Lord and Savior? Have you died to yourself and said, you know what, I'm not going to follow my own will and own desire. I'm going to follow the Lord. I believe that He is the only way to heaven and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's the only way to guarantee that when Jesus comes back that you'll be one of those who are taken. And I beg of you this morning as your pastor to take heed to the Word of the Lord because He's coming. And even if Jesus did not come back for another 50 years, you are not promised tomorrow. I've done funerals of infants and elderly. Death is no respecter of persons. It comes for everyone. So we have to be ready. Are you ready this morning? I want you to bow your head and close your eyes this morning. And I just want you to search your heart right now. Only you and God know where you stand. If you don't know that the Lord is your Savior this morning, if you haven't given your life to Christ, or maybe you did many years ago at a church camp or youth camp, but you've walked away and you've just denied God for whatever reason, here's your opportunity this morning to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Come into my life, forgive me of my sins, and help me to live for you. You can do that in your own seat right now. You can can make that declaration in your heart. But then you need to let somebody know, I I gave my life to Jesus today. But if that's you this morning and and you're ready to do that, I just want you to just begin to say that. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Matter of fact, I'm going to ask everyone, just everyone just repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died upon the cross and paid the penalty for my sin. And that death was accepted by God. And He proved that it was accepted by raising you from the dead. And today I repent of my sins. And I ask you to forgive me. Come into my life and make me new. And help me to live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now let me tell you this. If you prayed that prayer and you meant, if you meant that in your heart, then you're saved. You're saved. And you're on your way to heaven. 
Okay, but, but it doesn't stop there. Now you, you need to grow in that salvation. You need to grow in that new creation that God has made you. You need to become more mature in the Lord and become holy, more holy, and, and begin to pursue the things that God has for you. And to, to walk out of the grave clothes like Lazarus. I mentioned Lazarus. I know I'm trying to wind this down. This is, this is the preacher in me that comes out. When Jesus laid, raised Lazarus from the dead, he was alive, but he was still wrapped in grave clothes. Okay? which represents salvation, but there's still things that God wants to free you from. Addictions, uh, emotional baggage, um, hurts and pains and things that you're just experiencing mentally. God wants to free you from that. And the more that we draw close to Him, the more we get into the Word of God, the more that we worship Him, the more that the chains come off our lives and we walk in that freedom. Amen?